When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to the big Wednesday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com. We're doing rapid fire. Haven't done that in a while. I got 17 questions lined up from our loyal tech subscribers. It's always like, oh, what should we talk about? Then it's like, I don't know. Get the people who pay for this to do our jobs. And then they come through every time. So many good answers in here or so many good questions. I don't know how good the answers are, but I even pulled some back. We have some Harbaugh stuff that we're not doing today because we have to wait because it's too good. We have some quarterback dominoes, a what-if kind of thing that we're not doing today that we'll do later in the week or next week because it's too good. But we are going to start with this, number one. And I like this. Sometimes the questions, guys, that are the hardest are the ones that require facts. Not a huge fan of facts here on the podcast. In life, in writing, maybe. Not on the pod. This is all opinion. All opinion for the first question. From the 409, sort of goofy, but I had mentioned it before. And I guess this might be the better forum for it. Just for fun, it'd be cool to hear who y'all think might wear the Block O jersey in 2021. Haskell Garrett seems like the obvious choice, but others may garner some worthy consideration. So we know Jonathan Cooper wore it this year. They established it. It's the number zero. They call it the Block O jersey. It's a special place of honor. Nathan, who you got for Block O in 21? I mean, Haskell Garrett seems like an obvious choice. I was actually just double checking to make sure what the rules were for zero. If, if zero can be worn by literally anybody, could like an offensive lineman wear zero? Yeah, I don't. I've looked at that before, too. Um, and I think I it might just be the positions where you can wear a single digit number. Where, unless would they apply try to the to, defensive line. Yeah, unless they try to get a waiver or something, which maybe they could for this kind of special thing. But Yeah, because didn't Devin Gardner from Michigan wear – like 98 one year, which is a crazy number for a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, I think that's let's, let's operate under the assumption that they can give it to whoever they want to give it to. So who like, who deserves it? Who, who is the block oiest of the dudes? And I'll say there's somebody that's been floated that I saw that was pretty good. Chris Olave. Yeah. That's going to be my answer. Steven, why Chris Olave? I mean, one, he's back here and none of us can figure out why. So <laughs> I mean, he's going to be a cast. Zero, yeah, there yeah. makes zero sense that he's Literally. playing for Ohio State yeah. in 2021. Yeah, I'm, 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 I just, I don't get it. Um, I was doing a radio hit this morning, and I gave that exact that answer. I don't get it, but I think he, I think he's, he's going to be a captain. Obviously, he's the leader of that room, and I just think he is a. I think he can be the emotional leader of this team, the way that Jonathan Cooper was the last two years, and I think that element will play a huge role in who gets that number. Is who can you know, 
the vocal guy. I, we don't know what type of vocal leader he is because he might be like tough Borland right, where he's quiet with us, but then you get him in the locker room at halftime and he's giving one of the greatest speeches ever, which is what tough Borland gave in the halftime of the Clemson game, which is I, unbelievable to me. But I just think he's maybe the emotional leader of the team next year, given that he came back and no one is really sure why, because there's no, it doesn't make any sense. If we really, and I saw someone suggested it and then, uh, Zach Swartz, the video guy for Ohio State, who's so good, uh, I think spelled out it would be COO, Chief Operating Officer, Chris Olave, zero. Chris Olave, O, like he's the COO, the Chief Operating Officer of Ohio State. They're actually, I mean, I think if you look at it and we're trying, you know, if we, if we open it wide, open it wide. For anybody, it's like, okay, maybe like Thayer Munford. Mm -hmm. I think like mm -hmm. maybe Jeremy Ruckert. Like you kind of go through the guys who are kind of, a, it's almost like a surprise that they came back. Olave falls in that category. Haskell Garrett. But like other, like I think it's those four. Is there, is there anybody that outside of those four that, that you would add that is like a really established veteran guy? Right? I don't, I don't know. Is there anybody else that we're, I'm looking at the chart here. I'm, there's nobody else sleeping to mind. So I, I like Chris Olave. I like Chris Olave a lot. Um, I think, and I like the idea that they're establishing that it's not like only defense, right? That we did a defense the first year. Let's give it to offense the second year. Of course, a receiver can wear number zero. I think it will be Chris Olave. I think is if we're going to make a prediction on it, Steven, do you actually think it will be Olave? Just not that it should be, but it will be. I think it will be Olave. The only question is, I mean, how many times are you going to let this kid change his number? He's on no, he's a number number three now. If he gets the the block O jersey, I don't. That might be interesting to look at. How who's worn the most jersey numbers in their time at Ohio State? Jeff Okuda was on Twitter talking about how he wore like four different jersey numbers during his time at Ohio State. But some of that was because he was on special teams and not necessarily the, his normal numbers. So, but yeah, I think it's going to be Chris Olave who gets that jersey number, which is also cool because then he can be like, "This is how many people can cover me." Do they retire numbers at OSU? Because if they do, he would create a big roster problem in the future. <laughs> yeah. Um, they Troy don't, Smith is the last one, right? Well, they didn't officially retire Troy's number. There's like a whole thing. Okay. The highs, you're not just kind of supposed to wear it, but there's so many numbers that they need that yeah. they're not really retired. And it's like the Heisman winners. And it's very, it's very much a thing. I like, I like the idea of very round people wearing very round single digit numbers. So, like, if someday Dewan Jones can someday wear zero, I think that would be great. I'm all for a corner wearing it. I'm all yeah, for it. Yeah, corner would be good. I like – but, Nathan, did we see the – already here on question one, we saw old man means, grumpy old man e means, rear his ugly head. <laughs> Kids today changing numbers every year. Back in my day, six years ago, you just got a number and you wore it. He didn't be changing all the – it's like, listen, man, he had a weird number when you're young. And then when you get good and old, you switch to the cool single digit number. Everybody does that. Oh, yeah. And now it's the very special thing. So it's OK. It's I feel like all of us, thing. all of us have our, our crotchety old man part of our personality here on Buckeye Talk. And it's interesting to watch each of us kind of stake out what that applies to. Yeah. And St Stephen, what number were you when you were uh, when I you were number, a basketball? I was number two. <laughs> were you always number two? Yeah. Yeah, because I'm the second, and my birthday is May second. So, oh. so you're just mad Chris Olave might be moving off your number. I just think, I mean, the CO two thing was interesting because I mean, doing a story on him and talking to people around him, they literally all call him CO two. So it just made sense that he was wearing number two again, and they made a big deal out of it. And now you're gonna move off of it again. 
for a sentimental reason because you're back on this roster and you shouldn't be, go get paid, man. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Number two, we're going to go to Steven mostly for this one. Number two, it's about Elias Ricks. From the 937, any legitimacy to the rumors about LSU star freshman cornerback Elias Ricks entering the transfer portal soon and Ohio State being a potential player in that? Steven, you said people have kind of been asking you about this. What do you think? And, and give people some background here, too. Okay, so here's the deal. For, let me give the background first because that's factual information. Elias Ricks was the number 14 player and the number two cornerback in the 2020 recruiting class and was very high on Ohio State. In fact, if you go to his 247 page, his crystal he still has a crystal ball for Ohio State. He's from Rancho Cucamonga, Rancho Cucamonga, I think is how you sit. The place C.J. Stroud is from in California, that's where he's also from. He was attending Matter Day High School, which Rajon Davis, 2021 linebacker, uh, Damani Jackson, who was an Ohio State target, goes to Matter Day as well. C.J. Williams, a 2022 tar- 2021 target, goes to Matter Day as well. So there's a, some correlation there. He transferred to IMG for his last year where he pretty much be, was roommates, I'm pretty sure, and best friends with Legend Cavazos. And that almost happened for Ohio State. Except he chose LSU, which understandably him and Derek Stingley in the same secondary. I mean, that's, that, that's a pretty good thing there. Except now LSU has gotten some problems both on and off the field. So there have been rumors about him being in the transfer portal. He is not technically in the portal right now. So right now, this is all just speculation on what could happen about players leaving LSU. He's just on the top of that list. Derek Derek Stingley's on a list of could he just opt out and just start preparing for the NFL draft. But this is all just speculation. Now, if he enters the portal, I would not be shocked if Ohio State is on a list of schools he is considering because he was high on them coming out of high school. He's friends with a lot of guys who are already on the team and – there's a spot he can just jump right into as a starter on this team. He was a fre- freshman All-American this past season. That's a five-star guy who you can plug and play. And we've seen Ohio State the last two years take a guy who was a top 100 recruit and plug and play him. Justin Fields in 2019, Trey Sermon in 2020. So he would just be another version of Ohio State doing that at a position of need where you need a plug and play almost if he enters the portal. Kendall Sheffield, a little bit like this. Kendall Sheffield went to Alabama. He went to junior college then before he came to Ohio State, but that was another huge recruit that Ohio State got him here as a transfer and dropped him right in. And we talked about this on the defensive uh, depth chart breakdown, Nathan, but, you know, we know they're building the depth of that room and they have a bunch of young guys that they've added to that cornerback room. But right now, when you look and say, well, who are the sure things at cornerback for 2021? And number one is seven banks and number two is Cam Brown coming off an injury. And then you have a bunch of young guys like legend Cavazos and Ryan Watson, guys like that who haven't played that much. And you have a guy like Ricks who has played. It feels like, I mean, even though that room kind of is crowded with young guys, it also feels like, man, maybe they could also kind of use a guy like that. Right, Nathan. I think, yeah, somewhere on defense, um, uh, secondary might not be the only place where you could see them adding a transfer. I think the question here with, with someone like Ricks, if he ever even does enter the transfer portal is Again, could he would he be immediately eligible at Ohio State? And I know that they're they're doing that pretty liberally these days. Um, I think if if he was someone who had to come here and sit, I don't know if that makes as much sense. Even though he's a, a really good player, just because of the way Ohio State is recruiting the secondary. But if he can come here and play immediately, I think it's something they would have to consider. And the other thing to remember is. Some of this stuff, I know it gets talked about a lot going into the spring. I think a lot of stuff is gonna uns- is gonna come loose after the spring too. As, as guys at, at depth charts at different programs work itself out too. So 
something to keep an eye on for later in the spring too. It's not, the urgency may not be there as far as just adding someone um, keep an eye on it for the next few months. But Steven, you kind of mentioned this. It's, it's always interesting to me when, and no offense to LSU, but like when guys pick a team that just did really well, but maybe is not as foundationally across the board every year as good. Right. And that LSU had a super high, high, but then they had a drop off this year and Ohio state kind of is Ohio state, just like Clemson and Alabama are, but also there is some off field stuff. So there might, maybe the off field stuff would help him get eligible right away, but it is interesting to me sometimes of like in the moment, the team that's coming off the national championship looks really good. And then after a year, it's like, Oh, I actually might have a better chance to win long-term at another place, Steven. Yeah, especially when you're coming across the country to make a decision like that. Same thing with Rajon Davis being from California, originally committed to LSU. When Derek Stingley did it, well, it makes sense. He's from Louisiana. So, yeah, you're just staying home to play for your home school. Even with Jamar Chase, you're staying home to play for your home school. That was clearly a, a – LSU had an opportunity to take advantage of what just happened, and they did it with some, some high-level recruiting in 2020. And it kind of trickled over into 2022 for a little bit. We'll see if they can hold on to some of those commits. But – that's what we're seeing is, and, and now that you've seen that wear off, but also it's gone dramatically in a, another direction. It could be one thing if they just had a five and five year. And so they just had a slump of a season because they lost all that talent, but then, you know, they found themselves back into the mix of things in the sec very next season. But when you add in all the drama, that's away from the actual football, I, I think, yeah, that that's going to play a role in why a lot of these guys want out. And it's also why Alabama took such a suspen- substantial lead in the 2021 recruiting rankings because Nick Saban went in there and rated LSU's recruiting class. All right, just a, a heads up on some other topics that are ahead. Uh, there's a JT Barrett question, a Kayvon Pope question, a Corey Dennis question, the best quarterback Ohio State has ever beaten, a Gene Smith question, position switches, a Greg Madison question. And what uh, – this is a great question – Something that we could eat 1,000 of in a year. And I love that question. That's coming later. But right now, question number three from the 614, it seems to be that Jackson Smith the Jigba is ready for a big leap. So does moving Garrett Wilson back outside make sense in order to get the three best receivers on the field? This is from our Greg, our friend Greg C74. We talked about this a little bit in the offensive depth chart, but the the idea of could you move stuff around? But I think the most interesting part of this, Nathan, is the idea of Jackson Smith, Najigba, and a leap. Because we saw Garrett Wilson as a freshman, he was good. And then as a sophomore, Garrett Wilson had a much bigger role, and he was awesome. With what Jackson Smith, Najigba flashed as a true freshman, and he did sort of force his way onto the field in situations, the idea of like a gigantic Jackson Smith, Najigba leap, what do you think of that idea, Nathan? Yeah, I don't know if I'm expecting a gigantic leap. People have to remember that Garrett Wilson played a lot as a freshman, like a lot. He was in the rotation a lot as a freshman, and especially late in the season. He was almost, you know, a, a had, had risen almost to the top of that rotation. So Jackson Smith and Jigma really, I, I think the, the, it's good to use the word flashed because there are definitely flashes of it. There was, you know, the, the touchdown against Nebraska, the catch uh, that ended up not being a touchdown, but on review, but was close against Alabama. Just some other moments like that. He looked very comfortable, looked very poised in moments. It didn't look like a freshman out there at times, but as far as just like actual reps, actual um, 
time with the, the 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 first string offense, that sort of thing. He didn't have what Garrett Wilson had as a freshman. So I, I think I would temper expectations a little bit for that. Also still because, as we've talked about a bunch of times, you still do have Olave and Wilson ahead of him. I think what really opens the door for him is whether how much they decide to play with two tight ends and how much that gets a third receiver on the field. Because it's something that maybe – by just even getting another half season where he's um, a prominent person in the rotation, maybe by the back end of the season, he starts to take more of that jump. Um, Kind of addressing the larger question, I I would be careful not to think about it too much as does Wilson move outside to give him a spot. I think the point starts to become, it doesn't really matter. Like those guys, just getting those three guys on the field at once, and then you can move them around as you want. It doesn't really matter who's outside, who's in the slot. Just as a quick point of information before we get Steven on this, obviously Garrett Wilson played the full season as a freshman. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, had the limited season. According to 11 Warriors snap counts, Garrett Wilson as a freshman, 450 snaps. Jackson Smith, the Jigba, as a freshman, 163 snaps. So that's what we're talking about. But, but Steven, the idea of it, the idea of a leap for this guy. And I think Nathan, and we've talked about it, the idea of they probably can get the three best guys on the field, however they need to do it. But is it going to be JSN and could he go crazy? I would have said yes. If Chris Olave was not on this roster, because then it's the idea of the Garrett situation that we had been discussing where, you know, you just put Garrett wherever you want to put him on any specific snap. And then that depends, depending on where Garrett is, that's that decides who the other two receivers are on the field. I think with Chris Olave back, I, I think going crazy is probably not in the cards. I think he'll have more of a role this year because he'll have a, a full spring and a normal year, normal season as far as a full slate of games. And so I do think his, his stats are going to go up. He might get a few more targets, but I don't know if going crazy is necessarily in the cards because basically it's the exact same personnel as last season. I think this leads to a, a, kind of the discussion we have sometimes around this that I, you know you don't have to play a ton to make a leap then for the next year I mean you're good you're at Ohio State you're often blocked I mean like that's I don't think the fact that Jackson Smith the Jigma played 163 snaps versus 450 will hold him back from making the leap I think he might skill wise make the leap but we won't see it because they won't throw it to him that much so it's like what leap are you talking about are you talking about an ability leap a skill leap or are you talk about a production leap And so let's reference just quickly 2018 when they threw the ball all over the place. Paris Campbell had 90 catches for 1,063 yards. KJ Hill had 70 catches for 885 yards. Johnny Dixon, 42 catches, 669 yards. Terry McLaurin, 35 catches, 701 yards. That's like Terry McLaurin who was like getting ready to go set the NFL on fire, had 35 catches as a senior was the fourth leading receiver on the team just because they threw it to other guys. So I think it might be that when Jackson Smith, the Jigma gets the ball, he looks awesome in 2021, but I still think, right. I mean, the lion's share of the targets are going to go to Olave Wilson. So I just don't know. He's not going to have a chance to have 60 catches because he has two other guys on his team that might have 80 each, honestly. So I don't think he can have 60. He might have 40, but I think that's just, I didn't, I think that's, just the reality, but I think skill wise, he actually might be ready to do it. He just might not get, not get the targets to kind of show what he can do. This is a related question. And I'm going to tweak it a little bit from the five, one, three. This is a person that says I'm hearing blank. And I always, I always wonder what hearing means, but they're hearing that a receiver is going to transfer, whatever that means. 
even if not true, are we going to see some more attrition at receiver as a result of Chris Olave's decision to return? Are we a victim of our own success in recruiting on that one? We've talked about that before. We're not going to throw out names, but Steven, I don't know. Like if that, we already had Mookie Cooper go. Do you think they're, they're set for now on the offensive death chart podcast? We ran through it, how it kind of does line up now at the moment, sort of like veteran guys and the next group of guys and the true freshmen, they have like squadrons coming in, but Steven, do you still think that, yeah, this could happen. We could see a receiver leave. I think we're done seeing 2020 receivers leave. I, I think with all, I think the, the one that if any of them was going to transfer, it was going to be Mookie Cooper just based on, you know, what he's, kind of step he's can only really play in the slot while the other three you can kind of move around a little bit so i think you're done seeing it in 2020 you're not gonna see it in 2021 because those guys just got here i do think that and then garrett and jmo they they play so you're not gonna see it there i do think there's maybe the veteran group that we just haven't seen for whatever reason whether it's just injuries or just not being able to get on the being good enough to get on the field i do think that older group will see some of those guys maybe leave but i thought that even before chris olave came back yeah, exactly. I mean, if people listen to that offensive depth chart that we did, there are some older names that didn't get mentioned at all. So those guys should probably go somewhere else and play football if they want to play football. Yeah, and that's that's not what the person is talking about. Because I do think they one mean of the younger thing- guys. Yeah, they mentioned a name. They don't mean our Jalen Harris and Elijah Gardner, who are veterans that haven't played. I mean, well, I'll put their names out there. I mean, that's just realistic stuff. You look at it, you never know how it's going to go. They mean like a guy. Because here's the thing that happens. Even Mookie Cooper, right? I mean, like Jalen Gill, Mookie Cooper, a lot of these transfers that have happened, it's like they transfer and you're kind of like, well, I think Ohio State's probably okay with that, right? That they have enough guys. Mm-hmm. What happens is like with well, the transfer that you don't want the guy to transfer, that like you're trying to tell him, no, 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 no. There's a role coming here for you. Don't worry. You're all good. And he leaves anyway because of whatever. And maybe because he's feeling a little bit squeezed, that, I think, is the thing. And I think you have to be open to the idea of they might lose a guy that they really don't want to lose because there are so many numbers. I'm not saying it's going to happen. We can't act like it's not a possibility, though, right? When was I'll the last time that. Ohio State had that happen? Well, when's the last time they had 10 five-stars? Yeah. Well, I mean, just I'll, at any position, though, at any position. I'll say so, this. When it comes to that, I don't think it will happen in 2020 with the 2020 recruiting class, because I think those guys played the roles that they were kind of taught, told they were going to, this is going the way they thought it would go. G Scott is basically the JMO of that group where he just was only special teams as a freshman while Julian and Jackson had roles. And now that will, you know, we'll see what happens this year. I think 2021 is interesting depending on how many wide receivers they decide to take in 2022 because then you are kind of cutting it. I understand right now it looks like it's a, a, a conveyor belt that's running smoothly, but let's just say one doesn't develop as quickly as, you know, he should. And then, you know, you bring in three more guys in 2022 who are all top five, top 100 five-star guys, then what happens? So I do think I'll be paying attention, especially maybe not j- – there's an Ohio guy, so I think that that one might be – I am going to be paying attention to that 2021 class after this season – as they continue to, to build this 2022 class and see how many wide receivers they take and how maybe that impacts, you know, and how these guys are used in this year where it is a normal season where you're going to get one of those games where you can play the freshman in a full second half. 
So I think you have to be aware of it. And, and this is not an exact example, but I wanted to bring it up. So Trayvon Grimes was a top 50 national recruit at receiver mm-hmm. in 2017. And he transferred after his freshman year. And there, it wasn't straight playing time. There were a lot of things that were mentioned there. He transferred. He's from Florida. He transferred back to Florida. Urban Meyer went down and saw his family. There was some stuff where he wanted to be closer to home. There were some other things that were brought up. So it's not an example of just like, it's too crowded. I'm out of here. But it is an example of this is a guy who was a top 50 national recruit. He was the best receiver. That awesome 2017 recruiting class, J.K. Dobbins, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda. Trayvon Grimes was the receiver equivalent of those guys in that class. And he left after a year and they were fine. <laughs> so it's like, it's like he was a big deal when he left at Florida in 2018, 26 catches, 364, 2019, 33 catches, 491, 2020, 38 catches, 589. So he was productive. He was good. And Ohio state, like nobody at Ohio state was like, Oh, if we only had Trayvon Grimes, they might've be right. I mean, he's good, but they had Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So it's also the point of, you can lose a top 50 guy at the position, and they're, they're probably okay. You can lose a like, top 50 guy as long as the three-star guy that you recruited here crazily develops in a way nobody expected. Chris Olave became Trayvon Grimes. Yeah. Correct. I was going to say, I mean, I've been here two years. You know how many times people have brought up the name Trayvon Grimes? <laughs> Zero times. Like, I have not heard that name in the two years that I've been covering this team. And I think so. I think maybe that's the the end result here is that where people need to get to is like worst case scenario. One of those guys does leave. It's actually not even a catastrophe. I wouldn't like I wouldn't get that bothered by it. Can I say this? This is the thing I think you want to avoid in this situation. It's the guy that everybody agrees is going to be awesome. And that everybody agrees like this. You really think this is the best place for him. But he just gets antsy because it's too crowded and that he leaves before. It's not that you don't believe that he can be great. It's that you're you think he's right on the exact right path, but it's so crowded. He sort of gives up on it and boogies. And I do think it's possible that you can go a half step. I don't I can't turn every podcast into Doug thinks they have too many good players. I don't want to really live on the corner of they have too many good players. That is not a fun place to be, but I, I I mean, but, but you know what I mean? So it's like, Hey, remember we had this awesome guy and he left and went to Maryland and had 94 catches and we all loved him. And we knew he was going to be great here. And we just could not get him to stay and be a little bit more patient because he was like, I'm never going to play here. I'm going to go somewhere where I'm going to be the number one receiver. That I think is the thing you want to avoid. Right. And, and to, to your point, Nathan, it's not like there's a lot of examples of that. I don't, I don't have one off the top of my head where they lost a great player who then went and was great. So that's all. That's all. And I don't think it'll happen, but I think you could be on the edge of it maybe happening. And it becomes a challenge a little bit for Brian Hartline because, Stephen, I do think in the end, I, I would understand some natural frustration among some of the super talented dudes who might be saying to themselves, if I was just at the 10th best program in the country, instead of the third best program, I would literally be the number one receiver there. And here, like, I am not even sure if I'm going to get second team reps. You know what I mean? That's all. Ohio state's quarterback and wide receiver recruiting philosophy is kind of love, hate. you love it. And you hate it at the same time. Cause I mean, it's, it's getting results. They're getting five-star guys at the same time. 
Ryan Day often says that these guys want to come here and they want to compete because you know the best is here. And you think about it this way. If you can't get on the field here, how are you going to get on the field in the NFL? Which is probably true at this point in that wide receiver room. If you are getting into – if they go back to a six-man rotation, if you're in that rotation, you're probably a first or second-round draft pick at some point. But at the same time, I, I think this idea of come here and you're going to get developed at the highest level, and if it doesn't work out, you can just leave – is almost Alabama. It's forcing kids out. At a, it's Alabama light, but you're not forcing kids out to go to the NFL. You're forcing them out to go somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we all know where we all kind of stand on this. It's, it's fine. Well, like let's. Yeah, I see. There's not. There's nothing to hate about it yet. Yeah, no. Right. But until you get a mass transfer of wide receivers, from, when, and when you get to all three of your wide receivers from recruiting class, they all leave. Then that's when we'll all go. I told you this was the problem. Until yeah, then, I, we're just barking up. With, you're just yelling at a brick brick wall. We're not rooting for it to happen, and no. we don't think it will. We don't think it will. We think there's like a small chance that it could. So we're just alerting you to that. But again, I, I would almost be curious. It makes me want to do a story on. Let's go back. What are like the the transfers in Ohio state history that hurt Ohio state the most where a guy left and was good somewhere else. And you thought, Oh man, it really would have helped Ohio state if he had stayed. And I guess, I guess the Heisman trophy winner who led the undefeated national champions probably is number one on that list. But like, even that is is not, it wasn't disastrous for Ohio state, right? It wasn't like it didn't, drive the program off a cliff because Joe Burrow left. Like, would you rather be LSU, right? Had the last three years that LSU had or the last three years Ohio State had? Well, that's a very – I mean, <laughs> uh, we can't – we talk about you can't throw out topics in the middle of a sorry. podcast that should be its own topic. I'm like, sorry. Podcast. <laughs> I mean, I think you'd take the national title. I think you'd take yeah, the national title. You do. All right. But, uh, but it's just, would you rather be in a position where every single year – for the last three years, Ohio State has – well, other than 2018, that's because they just didn't get picked to go in it. But you've been in a position where you were a college football playoff caliber team or have that one crazy year, and the other two years you were just there. Well, right. Go ask Oklahoma. Would they rather be in the playoffs each of those three years or win it any one of those three years when they couldn't even win a game when they got to the playoff those three years? You know what I mean? Like it's – yeah. You're, the, only reason, the only reason you're trying to get there every year is because it heightens your chances of winning it. Anyway – this has become a 12-minute topic. Save yeah. it for another podcast. That's a good question, though. All right, we're talking about the offensive ceiling of this team. From the 937, it's Ethan. Ethan here, responding for Rapid Fire Wednesday. And my question is, with Chris Olave, Thayer Munford, and Nicholas petit Frere returning, is it unrealistic to see this team's offensive ceiling as an all-time offense, as we have been talking about in terms of what Bama was this year and what LSU was last year? I know Bama was a little older at some positions last year, but I'm just curious if everyone hits their ceiling, if that praise is realistic or am I just drinking the scarlet and gray Kool-Aid too much? So again, Nathan, we ran through this on the offensive depth chart about Olave Garrett Wilson and all these other guys at receiver about Jeremy Ruckert at tight end about master Teague and Trevion Henderson and Mayan Williams and Evan Pryor and all these options at running back. And this offensive line with two awesome tackles coming back and a boatload of talent, Paris Johnson, Harry Miller, everybody on the interior, and then the quarterback. So the quarterback is like, how do you view the quarterback <laughs> right. in this? 
in evaluating something like this, I think is, is right. That's how you evaluate a question like this. It's, it's the answer to the question. I mean, and that's the thing that I was thinking of as I was listening to that question is they're talking about everyone hits their ceiling. Well, what is the ceiling for any of these quarterbacks this fall? Like, okay, so what, let me let me say this. Is the ceiling what Trevor Lawrence did as a true freshman? Is that a realistic ceiling? That would that would be them surpassing what is believed to be their ceiling right now, right? I, I don't want to say Trevor Lawrence because that's just – I think we just throw Trevor Lawrence on too much stuff. I think Jake Fromm is one you can throw out there, a true freshman who was on a Ross, Georgia uber-talented roster with a true freshman, and they got to the national championship – and if it's not for a crazy pass at the end of the game, Georgia's a national champion. I think we can throw that one out there. I think that is out there for this team. If that's the, that's the exact scenario because Jake Fromm had never thrown a pass in a college football game either. And he won that job. So that's an actual, a perfect example of how this can go. Um, so I think that is possible. Yes. But that, that's going to also mean that the running game stepping up and being pretty dynamic too. Um, so that's yeah. the, then you're also talking about maybe some true freshmen who have to hit, yeah. their ceiling, whatever that means. I'm doing air quotes. People can't see on the, the podcast, but that hitting that ceiling too. And then what is the ceiling? You know what I'm saying? Like there's the difference between this, the, the ceiling that we see for Trevion Henderson or CJ Stroud, Jack Miller, common cord. There's a difference between their ceiling by the time they're done and their ceiling as freshmen. Whereas someone like Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, the offensive line, Jeremy Ruckert, their ceiling is their career ceiling is more attainable immediately in 2021 i think ohio state's quarterback can be good enough that it won't hold ohio state from winning a national championship so i think the the, the the part of this question is difficult is in comparing it to lsu lsu is not a good comparison for that because burrow was hitting on all cylinders as a guy who was in his fifth year of college and that's all that mac jones is more the comparison because it was a guy who hadn't played as much but mac jones did have half a year the year before replacing tua and he wasn't young He'd right. been around. Mm-hmm. So that's not really a really good comparison for this quarterback thing either, which is why I went to Trevor Lawrence. But the Jake Fromm comparison is much better, Steven. That's a really good comparison. And the thing is, in the last 10 years, I think we have maybe last five, we have moved past the idea of you can't win with a young quarterback. I mean, that was a thing before. But then, you know, Johnny Manziel won the Heisman the first time he was a starter, right? I mean, like we've seen there's too many examples now of young quarterbacks coming in and, and succeeding both personally and for a team level right away. I think like all time team is hard for me to wrap my head around because of the quarterback. And then I start going, it's like, okay, well, what about 2022? All right. So Wilson and Olave will be gone. But now if you have Fleming and Jackson Smith, the Jigba and Marvin Harrison jr. And Emeka Egbuka, and I don't know about tight end, but now if you have Paris Johnson and now Donovan Jackson's going to be starting out. Right. And then Trevion Henderson to sophomore, you start going like, well, maybe, Maybe their ceiling is higher in 2022. No, 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 no. I think it's higher in 2023. Like that, you could also like go down a rabbit hole of like, you start projecting. Well, I think when Travion Henderson's a junior, that's really right. Because they have so much talent stacked up. But I think in conclusion, Nathan, we're probably not going to, we're not expecting this kind of thing to happen as an all-time offense because the quarterback has never played. That's probably where we are. I think that's it's a fair thing to, yeah, to, to question whether it could happen as quickly as this fall and just be pleasantly surprised if it does. But I think, I, I just I think the quarterback is going to take some time. I would not expect someone to show up on day one and do even what Justin Fields could do on day one 
the first time he started for Ohio State. I think that's reasonable. Let's move to this. This is a quarterback question right on top of it. It's question six from the 419. Is there a two quarterback, and I think this is an important distinction, not system, but rotation, a two quarterback rotation in the Minnesota game in the opener to sort this out, that it's not a plan. It's not like, hey, we're going to play two quarterbacks all year. It's we're continuing the competition into the first game of the year. And then the second game of the year is Oregon, which is probably going to be a top 15 team again. Do you think that's on the board, Stephen, as a possibility from the 419? No. They not if they want to compete for a championship. No, they need to pick one going into that game. They need to have a starter. I think if that was a mat game or a game, that's a, if it was a pick a score, pick your score game, then sure, because then you could, you could, you know, you're playing with house money and you could try that out for, you know, a, a game. I think because it's a Big Ten game and you're starting out like that, you know, you need to just pick a starter. You need to pick it kind of similar to when you pick when you finally stopped playing around and just said Justin Fields was your starter. You need to do it a week, two weeks out, so that 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 guy knows for two weeks that he is preparing to be the guy who takes the field when Ohio State plays football again. What if you tell two guys two weeks out that they haven't neither one is separated enough that they're both going to play and they both have those two weeks? I mean, it's because here's the problem: if if it really is that tight of a competition and everybody knows it then when you pick one over the other and then that guy struggles and you have to flip it, you've created more potential maybe roster problems than if you go in approaching it as, hey, you're both going to get time. We're still settling on who pulls away and is the number one guy. Urban Meyer waited till literally they took the field against Virginia Tech to whisper now that Cardell Jones or JT Barrett's here. And he, regr- and he regretted that moment the entire season. That's not what we're talking about, though. It's the... If you're going, if you're going, if you were going into the season and still hadn't picked the starting quarterback, and then he and he had to flip it. He eventually had to flip that decision because Cardell Jones wasn't playing well, which probably made things worse. I think you just need to pick a guy. But you're just saying that he did pick a guy and it didn't work, and he picked it in a way that isn't what we're talking about right now. So I guess this is and this is the kind of thing that we're going to discuss a thousand times between now and the start of the season is. Is picking a guy the right answer? Is picking the wrong guy better than picking no guy? That you pick a guy, you say, you are the starter, and he plays the first couple games, and you say, hmm, maybe it's not him. Is that better than we couldn't pick? Play both. See what happens. Right? I mean, and I think that's the kind of thing, and it's, again, and we'll we'll be writing this. There are so many. There are a lot of recent examples. There really are in Ohio State the last 20 years since I've been on the beat of where they didn't have a very clean quarterback process. And the one that this reminds me of the most, and I'm a little hazy on this because it was literally the first game I covered in 2005, Troy Smith is suspend is not, doesn't play the first week against Miami of Ohio as a remnant from an off season thing. And they played Justin Zwick and Troy had come on at, at the end of 2004. So my first game on the beat is 2005 Ohio State, Texas. And Justin Zwick and Troy Smith are sharing it. They're playing Vince Young. And Ohio State is changing their quarterback Stupid. at times. And like, guess what? They almost won. They almost beat Vince Young. But they didn't have the quarterback thing settled. And then they settled it. And they went with Troy. But that second game of the year when they really needed it. And that Texas game in week two is very similar to Oregon in week two. And it wasn't settled and it hurt them. 
rather than just saying Troy's the guy, I mean, come on, it's obvious that it's Troy, right? And I wonder like if, if you get to week two at Oregon, because say you do it week one at Minnesota, are you saying like, okay, we're extending it to week one, but then we have to decide we're not doing this for Oregon, but we're going to treat Minnesota as an extension of the competition because these guys have never done it on the field. I don't know. Or, but Steven, you think pick. Yes. You have to pick. And and that's what I said. That's what I wrote multiple times with Cardale and JT in 2015. I said, the only wrong answer is no answer. Literally. You must decide. There's literally very few things that worse in this world than indecision. It's in sports. That's, that's even more of a point. Pick a quarterback. There's nothing wrong with being wrong and then changing that because when you pick one, the other guy is, either going to leave or he's going to be motivated to still try to beat that guy out out and prove you wrong. That's what's going to happen there. But more than likely, he's just going to probably, that guy's probably just going to stay and try to win the job back. I I don't, Minnesota is not, uh, I don't think we can sit here and guarantee Ohio State's going to beat Minnesota right now. And so pick a quarterback and do that. And if you lose that game and the reason why you lost is because you had indecision at quarterback and that you just threw your entire season off, that, that makes things worse. Just pick a quarterback. I think I agree. I don't know. Nathan, do you agree with that then or not really? I think that is what will happen. I think they will pick a quarterback for that. But I will say, just playing the devil's advocate side of it, the other thing, we we keep talking about, you know, Ohio State is going to start a quarterback with no experience this fall. I think something that gets lost there is, oh, guess what? The backup has absolutely no experience either. And so does their third string guy right now. I have absolutely no experience. I could even, I could see a world where where we, we talked all this year about we how we, think maybe you should have tried to find some way to get these guys more reps. Does Ryan Day need to find a way to get the backup real reps early in the season? Yeah, and blow I, teams out and the backup gets reps. But I also think I think that's different too, right? If you say if Ryan Day says CJ Stroud is our starter, Jack Miller will play in the first half. CJ Stroud is our starter. We need our backup to get reps and Jack Miller's going to get the third or fourth series, but don't get it wrong in your head. It's not, we're not saying we don't have a starter. You know what I mean? That's different than like, Hey, this guy gets a series. 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 I think there are ways around that or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. You get him in and blowouts. I think Nathan, you make a good point. You'd like the guy to have some snaps, but what you don't want is looking over the shoulder. I hate looking over the shoulder. Urban Meyer, thought looking over the shoulder wasn't a thing in 2015. And then the way it played out, both those guys would tell you, JT Barrett and Cardell Jones, that they were looking over their shoulder and that you create that atmosphere. And by not making a decision, you automatically lower the ceiling of the quarterback play because it's hard to play your best when every time you make a mistake, you think you might just, you maybe just lost your job. And yes, there's competition all the time, but that's that's different than there being two equal quarterbacks. So I, Nathan, I think you make a good point, but, and Steven, I, I think, there's room to agree with that, but in the end, you have to make it clear to the quarterbacks above all, when also the public, but the quarterbacks have to know you're the guy. This is the guy. Don't look over your shoulder. Go do your thing. Number two and number three, fight your butt off every day to take the job from him, just like everybody else. But number one, you're number one. Yeah, if you throw a, if he throws an interception, he needs to know he's going to be out there for the next series. Uh, to Nathan's point, though, Clemson does that. They did that this past year to make sure DJ got some type of reps. They would randomly throw him out there and he'd be the quarterback. And they just have Trevor stand off on the sideline 
Uh, so yeah, the, I, we we've seen that before. I think Tate Martell had that sometimes early in the season, 2018, when they just threw him out there in games that were when it was like 21 to nothing already, obviously. But just to get your backup some reps, so I could see a world where they do that. Tate package, uh, question seven from the seven eight six. Do you think JT Barrett would have taken advantage of the COVID extra year of eligibility and come back for a sixth <sighs> season? So here's the thing, and I think we'll we'll just I'll talk talk about this very quickly. I think sometimes we underestimate the I'm done with college <laughs> idea of this guys love it. They love playing. They love being a Buckeye. They love playing football. They realize they might not ever play at this high of a level again. Sometimes you want to be done and you don't really want to be hanging around with 19 year olds when you're 23 or 24. So no, I don't think he would have. There was even more like the, like the scuttle, but of like, Hey, would JT be like a, fifth year grad transfer somewhere else, you know, that, that year, I just, I get what people are saying, but especially when there's like a natural end to things like Justin Hilliard came back for a sixth year. He's not coming back for a seventh, but because he, his first five, he never got the full run of it. JT Barrett got the full run, man. What else could JT Barrett want? You just be doing more of the same thing. And I think, I think people are ready to move on sometimes with their lives, even when they love, this portion of it and JT Barrett, I think, you know, he's going to take a shot in his heart of hearts. I think he probably knew he wasn't an NFL quarterback. You know, he thought maybe he had a chance to stick around as a third stringer, but he knew it was never going to be as good as it was at Ohio state. But I still don't think that means that he would have stayed if he had the chance. Uh, let's do a text question first. Uh, a little bit of nonsense from the three Oh three. And then we'll take our first break question for the pod. Do you guys ever get really weird, funny misfire texts from your subscribers? like someone who thinks they are responding to their wife, but actually they send it to you all. And we are all nodding our heads because of course the answer to that question is yes. Steven, is there one that's uh, sticking out to you or do you just uh, generally find it amusing when you come across one? I think it's funny. And sometimes I'll respond depending on if, if it's just a joke or some random text, it's not serious. I'll get, we get a lot of uh, the, the, uh, the uh, automatic text backs that I can't right now I'm driving, but then sometimes you'll get that. Hey, I left something in the oven, can you, you know, turn the stove, can you turn the oven off or can you take the chicken out of the freezer? We get a lot of that stuff too. Um, and sometimes I'll just respond. I, I remember one day, I think <laughs> we got a butt dial text from somebody <laughs> and I had gone in there. I was going to go do it, but Doug had already done it. He butt dialed back the guy and then he butt dialed back you and then you did it again. That was awesome. I was going to go do that, but you had already beat me to the punch. But yeah, we get a lot of that. Nathan, we have been told, I love you multiple times by texters and and maybe it's real but i think it's mistaken i think it probably is mistaken uh and i, I remember we've gotten a couple that are people who are like doing business transactions so they'll be like yeah I'll, I'll send you that i'll send you the however much money tomorrow or how about how about this amount that we're settling on or whatever and uh, those are always eye-opening some of those get to be pretty interesting amounts of money you know they're that not coming from sports writers that was one of those. That was the one I was thinking of. There was like a business deal. And then the guy was like, ah, uh, ignore that one. <laughs> and we were like, we don't even, we couldn't understand this if we tried to. But yeah, but it is because, and that's the thing about the text. That's, it proves to me why the texts are so effective because they come into your phone like a text from your friend. And there's so much like a text from your friend. You mistakenly send us a text that you mean for your friend. Because we're your friends. 
614-350-3315. If you would like the opportunity to mistakenly send us personal information that you intended for your significant other or for your business partner, 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial to try it out. But I think sometimes before people try it, they don't understand that it's just in the list of all the texts you get from your brother and your sister and your cousin and your friend and your kid and your husband and your wife and your coworkers. And then also Nathan, Doug and Steven are right in there just like that. So that's how smooth we slide into your life. Buckeye talk. Our, uh, a guy, Zach was just texting me the other day saying, cause he had, he had reached out to me through another venue to say he was thinking about signing up for the text. And he was texting me, telling me that he loved it and was keeping it up because he, uh, I work all day carrying mail. So it's nice just to get the info straight to my phone way easier than trying to search the web. So that's what the whole point is. I said, that's exactly what we're going for. I, I will say this, that it's, if you are used to getting texts in your life, you know what I mean? Like if you're a texter and you get texts from people and you like Ohio state football, it flows really well. If you're not a person who texts or like, if you find texts like intrusive, then it's probably not for you. But if texting is like a normal part of your life, and you care about the Buckeyes, it's like throw four bucks a month at it. it it's probably worth it. Honestly, it really probably is. That's been just, in the survey. How many group chats are you in? Yeah, I'm right. It's like a group chat. I mean, honestly, I mean, it is. It's, you know, I don't know. Texting is pretty normal. And there's just another thing. I just, I just saw another thing. Uh, I had spoken at a, some kind of online convention a couple months ago and they did a write-up about it and they were quoting me on there. And I just was saying like, this is, I've never connected with an audience or with my readers or with my, you know, the people that, that pay my salary. I've never connected like this in 25 years as a sports writer, the way I connect with the texters. So it's a little ad for the text, but it was a good question. 614-350-3315. But we also tech, uh, connect on the pod. We like connecting on the pod and we'll do more of that connecting next talking about Kayvon Pope, Corey Dennis, the best quarterbacks Ohio State has ever beaten. Things we could eat a thousand of in a year. Next on Buckeye Talk. Back on Buckeye Talk, Doug, Nathan, Stephen from the 513. In the 2019 season, I feel like I'd heard Kayvon Pope's name a lot. This year, I don't think he was on the field. And I'm just wondering if you guys know of anything that happened to set him back. Nobody is really talking about him being a starter next year also. So here's the thing that happens, and I, I can't remember all the names, but uh, a lot of times I like it when a group comes in at a position. And I remember it was Jerome Baker's year. It was Jerome Baker and two other guys. And I remember writing about like, hey, Jerome Baker and these two other guys, they're going to be the linebackers together. You know, hey, it's the three linebackers in the same class. They're kind of coming come and do this together. And then one, uh, Kyle Berger was one of them, I think. He got hurt. Jerome Baker was a star. And then I can't remember who the other guy was. And I think we've thought about that a lot with Dallas Gantt, Taraja Mitchell, and Kayvon Pope in 2018. We've lumped them together a lot. But you know what almost never happens? All of them staying on the same path to do the same thing at the exact same time. So I'll say the one thing that happened this year is the week that Baron Browning, it was Baron Browning missed the Northwestern game. Is that right? When Correct. Justin Hilliard Correct. played so well? Correct. Yes. That week, Baron Browning, you didn't know exactly what was going on, but in the middle of the week, Kayvon Pope tweeted something about, I thought it was next man up. What's going on? I'm paraphrasing, but he had a frustration tweet in the middle of the week. And then when Baron Browning didn't play, Justin Hilliard played for him. At a time when, 
Kayvon Pope was sort of revealing the fact that he thought he was next up behind Baron Browning. So I think the emergence of Justin Hilliard as the fourth linebacker this year ahead of any of those three other younger guys sort of threw off like, okay, well, what are we thinking about those guys? And then for whatever reason, and I'm not sure that it's fair, but I feel like it has leaked in a little bit that we sort of think that we are projecting Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant maybe a little bit in a way that we're not projecting Kayvon Pope. And actually, I'm not sure why, Nathan. I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I think it's happened. And I think sometimes you just kind of get a thing in your head. And I'm actually not sure there's any reason that we should view Kayvon Pope any differently than the other two guys, while also realizing it is very rare that everybody in a position group in a recruiting class has the exact same path to the field. Well, a, a couple things. I think one of the reasons why we're not projecting Kayvon Pope the same way we're projecting those other two is because I don't, I'm trying to remember back to last year when we would watch warmups and we would kind of put together our depth chart based on usage. Pope was not really the second guy at Sam ever. He wasn't really ever the third guy at Sam. And that may have been as much what he was referring to as that next guy up thing, because it was really um, Craig Young that was ahead of him in all of those rotations that we saw, I think, I mean, he really didn't see the field very much. So it might've been as much. He wasn't even getting that number two shot as, as being ahead of Hilliard. I don't know that he necessarily realistically should have expected to be ahead of Hilliard. I think the other thing though, that makes Pope tough to project right now is, and I didn't even put him at Sam when I did my depth chart, although I admitted that might be completely wrong was because what we think Ohio state needs at Sam is not Kayvon Pope. Kayvon Pope is a lot like what Baron Browning was this past year, though it would appear probably not as good as Baron Browning at doing it. But Baron Browning is a very conventional Sam linebacker. And don't we all kind of think that in the long run, Ohio State is getting away from that conventional Sam linebacker and going to something that's a little bit more hybrid. And I don't know that that's Kayvon Pope. I think that it's, he seems to be I would see him maybe going back more to the inside and they go to someone like what we've talked about with court Williams or some of these guys that are coming in behind him, even that are that more hybrid linebacker, more like what Pete Werner was in 2019. I don't really see Kayvon Pope as that kind of linebacker, but to be fair, I haven't seen him play that much football, but the other reason I want to say this real quick too. The reason he was getting some buzz in 2019 was a couple of things. Number one, he got in some games and made some plays in like a second string situation, third string, whatever. But also you had a spring where those kind of guys get talked about and we were having full interviews all spring and being around the team in a different way that spring. And in the same way in the preseason, we're just around the team more. I feel like those kind of names get sprinkled around a little bit more than they did this year when we were all on Zooms and it was a very different structure. I didn't feel like we were getting that same vibe of like up and comers because we weren't really around the team the same way. And I think that was the reason why he and some other names were very buzzy in 2019. And we didn't have nearly as many buzzy names in 2020. Steven, what do you think? I think Kayvon Pope played 17 snaps this past season. I think you're right. He had a chance to make some plays last year because there was more games. I, I Actually, I agree completely with Nathan. I think when you're on a Zoom call and you get one question, you're going to use that question to the best of your ability. There's not going to be us huddled around a table asking some of these older veterans, like, hey, who are some of the guys in practice who are maybe, you know, taking a step forward in week six or seven of a season where you would hear a name like a Kayvon Pope or even a Cody Simon, or anybody else, you're kind of sticking to the basics. So I think that does play a role in it as well, but more just losing games. You didn't get to see guys flash as much, but I do think one of the points is that I do think it's the idea that Pope Gant and Mitchell are kind of in the same boat, but I just think for whatever reason, and actually I think there is a reason Mitchell and Gant are viewed a little differently. Going back to some facts here, as Steven pointed out, 
He only played 17 snaps this year. The Rutgers game, when they put the backups in in the second half, these were the linebacker snaps in the Rutgers game, which is maybe our only window into some of this stuff. Taraja Mitchell played 33 snaps that game. Dallas Gantt played 38. Craig Young played 29. And Kayvon Pope played five. And I think Craig Young has sort of maybe took that Kayvon Pope spot, which contributed to sort of like to what you were saying at the start, Nathan, when you looked and said, well, who are the second team linebackers? Sometimes it was Pope, not Pope. It was Gant, Mitchell and Young, not Gant, Mitchell and Pope, which contributed to this. I did a story on Kayvon Pope in 2019 when he made some of those plays. And there was a particular moment, I think he made a pick in a game and like he came off the side to the sideline then and Al Washington like sprinted down the sideline and gave the guy a hug and was so excited for him. And I talked to Al Washington and then I went and talked to Kayvon Pope about that, about that moment of, Hey, you're a young guy. You haven't gotten to be on the field yet, but you get a chance You do something. Your coach is so excited for you. And that's what he was doing. He was doing everything he could in limited opportunities, but maybe he's, maybe he got passed a little bit in a way that Mitchell and Gant have not. So, but also I think, so there's some limited information to go by, but I think overall the point is it's limited information. So if Kayvon Pope comes out and wins a job, you can't be shocked this year, right? But we just didn't have as many chances to try to sort this out. But the one time we did, it was a little more Craig Young than it was Kayvon Pope. You said something interesting at the beginning of when you said like we all come in the same, but then everybody's path is not the same. And so this 2018 group of linebackers, Taraji Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kayvon Pope, it makes me think of how this 2022 group of linebackers might play out when you've got three guys who are top 50 recruits in Desan McCullough, CJ Hicks, and Gabe Powers. And I know we're all excited about them right now, and all those guys might be five stars by the time they actually sign a piece of paper. But I do think that we've seen – we continue to see examples of things that Ohio State tried in the past that didn't necessarily work, and yet they're trying to do it once again in the future. And that's bringing a lot – they have to do it, obviously, because you're losing so many linebackers. But it'll be interesting to see how those three maybe play out in comparison to how it's working out right now for these three. Taraji Mitchell, 2018 class. Taraji Mitchell, number 44 overall player. Dallas Gant, the number 166 overall player. Kayvon Pope, the number 217 overall player with those three linebackers who came in together and are maybe finally getting their chance here in 2021. Uh, next question from the nine, three, seven, what are the current odds about Corey Dennis going with urban? Are they less than hundred percent? Yeah. I thought it was going to happen. I, they're definitely less than hundred percent because when urban Meyer had his call with the news media, when he was hired in Jacksonville, he said something like, I'm going to have to shuttle the grandkids back and forth. He didn't say, the grandkids are moving in next door. <laughs> so Corey Dennis is the father of Urban Meyer's two current grandchildren. So that's the deal there. So like he didn't say I'm not hiring Corey Dennis, but the grandchildren shuttle opened my ears a little bit. And like, we know Ryan Stamper is already gone. I think it would have happened by now. I, I never thought, I thought it was very, very, very possible. I talked to somebody, I thought it was, very, very possible that it would happen. It was never for Corey Dennis to be the quarterback's coach. I mean, he's not going to go be the quarterback's coach in the NFL for the number one pick in the draft. (laughs) That's not happening. But you could be on staff. There's a million different ways to be on staff. But maybe for Corey Dennis, it's it's better for his career to stay and be the full-time quarterback's coach at Ohio State. 
And then maybe he'll wind up there eventually, or maybe he won't automatically go wherever his father-in-law goes. So I get it. But it, it, at the moment, it feels like, no, I mean, he's, I don't think there's going to be like a late move here. I think Corey Dennis is here for 2021 and and then we see what happens. Right. I mean, that, that feels like yeah. where we are, Nathan. Well, something I thought about too, after the fact was maybe it makes more sense. And it, if there's no opening this year, that it doesn't, but, but you're right that I almost feel though, like you're the quarterback's coach at Ohio state. So to go be like low level staffer, I know it's the Jaguars. I know it's the NFL, but that seems parallel move at best. Right. And maybe even a step down. Like, does it make, it makes more sense to me that a job opens at, Florida State, Florida, Georgia, even Georgia Tech, where he played, something like that. Like, if they need a quarterback coach in the next couple of years, that's something to keep an eye on because you'd be moving kind of closer to the family at that point. But it'd be, it would be, again, that would be a parallel move too, but it would make some sense. I think it's some weird world where if Urban Meyer would have hired that kid as a, that kid, he's the same age as me, him as a quarterback. Well, you're a kid. You're allowed to call him a kid. You are a kid. That's, that's fair. Um, this guy who makes more money than me and we're the same exact age. Um, if he'd have hired, if in some weird world where he'd have hired him as the quarterback's coach, that'd be the hell of a start to your career. You get Justin I mean, he, Fields but, in year one and Trevor no, Lawrence in year two. But that's I mean, not it was never going to happen. No, it's never going to happen. Not at all. So, can we have a one minute discussion on a parallel topic that probably is not worth broaching anywhere else because we're not NFL experts? If so, we have all this discussion about Deshaun Watson once out of Houston and would he be, do we already talk about this with the jets or some, if you were urban Meyer, would you trade the number one pick for Deshaun Watson? Because that's not what people are talking about. People are talking about, that seems like the two things that are out there for a Deshaun Watson trade for the Texans are the number two pick from the jets plus whatever else. Cause it's going to be more than that pick or the Miami dolphins third pick plus Tua, And that you get a bunch of stuff. I mean, people are talking about the jets pick. It's like, the Jets first and second rounder this year, first and second rounder next year, and a player, something like that. And then if it's Miami, it's like the number three overall pick to uh, something else. But the idea of, I don't know that it would be best for Jacksonville to trade the number one pick for Deshaun Watson, because a lot of times that rook, that window where you have the rookie quarterback salary for four or five years mm -hmm. is very helpful. It might be best for urban Meyer because like if, 12 years from now, Trevor Lawrence is with the Texans in the same division as the Jaguars and lighten up the Jaguars. I don't think Urban Meyer is going to be the Jaguars coach 12 years from now. But it it turns, honestly, if the Jaguars got Deshaun Watson, they're a Super Bowl contender. I don't think they are that with Trevor Lawrence right away. I don't know. You think, Here, the, you think next, you think this, coming season, they're a Super Bowl contender with Deshaun Watson, even though, A, the Houston Texans weren't and didn't have a roster as bad as the Jaguars did in 2020. Jaguars have a boatload of cap space, and they have some good young players, and the Texans are a hot mess. The Texans I actually agree. had I decent agree. talent. So I think they, not, not like the first Super Bowl contender, but I think if they traded for Deshaun Watson, I think they could win 10 or 11 games next year. Maybe. I, I don't know. I think, I think if it were me, man, I... I think the the advantage, like you just said, the Jaguars have cap space. They also have a, a decent chunk of picks. So you'd be trading away from your your draft. What do you want to say? Your your equity here, like all all this all this draft uh, capital that you have. Um, and then, are you also having to include a current NFL player to get Watson? I mean, who knows? Probably. But I mean, like what whatever I mean, it is. 
so I, I don't know. I think I would probably, I would probably just roll with my number one. The other, the other thing is how long, are, how long do you then have Watson? I mean, he'd sign and he'd stay forever. I mean, you'd have him forever. I mean, and pay him a boatload of money. He might be the second best quarterback in the NFL. He's 25. But, uh, but you're right. Like there's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. not a coincidence that a lot of teams make these runs with young, cheap quarterbacks, relatively cheap. But the other thing is, Quarterbacks also miss. I'm not saying that Trevor Lawrence is going to miss. He's not a hundred percent. Deshaun Watson's a hundred percent. Deshaun Watson is a great NFL quarterback. Even if Trevor Lawrence is 80% going to be a great NFL quarterback, that's 20% less than Deshaun Watson. And And actually the counter, the counter to what we were just saying though, about the cheap quarterback is a lot of times the examples that get used there are like Russell Wilson and Colin Kaepernick who were not top of the first round guys young quarterbacks mm-hmm. they were like third round and below guys who hit that's where you really um are playing with some equity and really with russell i mean he was great but also he was more of a, at that point in his career was more of a game manager because that defense was so awesome he wasn't the russell wilson that he is now i think yes you trade it because to the point you just made when you're a first time ever nfl head coach you probably want a sure thing at quarterback and not we're pretty sure that Trevor Lawrence is going to be that, but we already know Deshaun Watson is that. So if you can at least, if that's one position you don't have to worry about coming into your first time ever coaching in the NFL level, that's you take that. I haven't seen anybody throw that out. Like, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think I would do it. Cause here's the thing. I think Deshaun Watson is like 85 or 90% of Patrick Mahomes, maybe without the weapons. He's literally Patrick Mahomes without the weapons. And, and I, I don't, I I'm not going to say he's Patrick Mahomes because Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable, but you couldn't get Patrick Mahomes for a hundred first round picks. I mean, if somebody was like, Hey, what if the Jaguars gave the chiefs Trevor Lawrence and their first round pick for the next 10 years, everybody would be like, the chiefs would never do that. Well, okay. Well, who, who could you get next? If you can't get Patrick Mahomes at any price, who's next? I, I think it's Deshaun Watson. Like that's how good he is. And I think we haven't seen how good he can be because he's been in a dumpster fire in Houston his whole career. So, like, I would kind of give whatever it took to get him, and that includes Trevor Lawrence and a bunch of picks. But that's just us on Buckeye Talk. What do we know? This is a combo to Sean Watson, Trevor Lawrence question now. This is hard. You guys have not seen these questions. I did a tiny bit of research on this, but I think it's the theory that I wanted to throw out there because I think maybe we didn't appreciate it in the moment from the nine one two was Trevor Lawrence, the best quarterback that Ohio state has ever beaten. Can we get a top 10 list going? And this person mentions Marcus Mariota, Baker Mayfield, they throw out Deshaun Watson and then they added on, wait, they never beat Deshaun Watson, but I think it is very interesting. And before they played Clemson last year, I did a list of, in my time on the beat, the best offensive players that Ohio State had faced. And I did all offensive players, but at that time, I had Deshaun Watson number one. I had Saquon Barkley number two. I had Vince Young from Texas number three. They didn't beat him. They didn't beat Deshaun. I had Trevor Lawrence number four. And they didn't beat him last year, but they beat him this year. And then I had Sammy Watkins, number five, the receiver from Clemson, didn't beat him. Baker Mayfield, I had number six. Baker Mayfield, they beat him the first year, did not beat him the second year. But it's also one of those things like, oh, they didn't beat Baker Mayfield when he won the Heisman. Well, if they had beaten Baker Mayfield, he probably wouldn't have won the Heisman, right? I mean, it's one of those things. Sometimes you have to lose to the guy to give him the platform 
hey, one of the best things Baker Mayfield did in 2017 was beat Ohio State on the road. Um, but I think Trevor Lawrence probably is still maybe a better college player than Baker was. Um, I had Melvin Gordon on there, Lil Michael James, Denard Robinson I had on there. Really good quarterback, different kind of player, but really good quarterback. Um, I had Jonathan Taylor on that list. I had uh, a bunch of Pac-12 quarterbacks, Marcus Mariota, Sam Darnold. They beat in the Cotton Bowl after the 2017 season as Sam Darnold then went and was the number three pick in the draft. So that's pretty darn good. Jake Locker, they beat. Washington's Jake Locker. Um, Jake Browning, he's a noodle arm. He doesn't really count. So anyway, I think in the end, they beat Phillip Rivers when Philip Rivers was at North Carolina State in a multi-overtime game in 2003. We talk about a lot. They don't often play awesome, awesome, often awesome quarterbacks. You know, they didn't beat Mark Sanchez at USC. They didn't beat Matt Barkley at USC. Steven, I think it's possible. I think, I think probably the candidates and maybe somebody has a great answer from the 60s or 70s that is not leaping to mind or the 80s or something. But if your candidates maybe are Marcus Mariota, who you beat in the national championship game as the Heisman winner before he was the number two pick. Okay, that's a pretty high bar. Trevor Lawrence or Sam Darnold, I think are the three candidates. And if you want to make a case for Lawrence, who's going to be the number one pick and you just beat him, you ended the number one picks college career. I think you can definitely make that case, Stephen. Mariota has the most hardware of the three, but he'd be third on my list. I think it'd be Trevor one and Sam Darnold two and Mariota just based off their arm talent alone. And then you can add in, I mean, I mean, USC wasn't necessarily a national championship contender that year. And obviously Oregon was and Clemson has been a national championship contender every year that Trevor Lawrence has been there. So I, it, that's my order. It's Trevor, Sam, Marcus Mariota. And then we can throw Phillip Rivers in there from 20 years ago, I guess. And, and also, four. like, it's hard. Like, Baker, I think you have to think about, like, 2016 Baker wasn't as good as 2017. Yeah, that's the, the thing. Big, yeah. they, they, beat, they beat those three guys at their best, the best versions of themselves as college football players. That was Baker still rising, so you can't really include that one. You can mention it, though. And they almost beat Vince Young the year that, like, Vince Young was, like, kind of as good as any college football yeah. player we've ever seen. They also beat Colt McCoy the next year when Colt McCoy was starting his second game in 2006, when he was taking over for Vince Young and then Colt McCoy, you know, started 36 games over the next three years, but he was not yet Colt McCoy when Ohio state went to Austin and beat Texas that year. I just think Nathan, it's interesting to think about because there was kind of a short window between Clemson and Bama, right? It's a weird year. There was all like the Dabo stuff. There was the revenge of the Clemson program beating them. I think it's possible that we maybe underestimated like, hey, Ohio State just ended the career of the guy that people think is, well, he's definitely going to be the number one pick. But not only that, but might be the best NFL draft prospect at quarterback. Well, I was going to say in a couple of years, I mean, since Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. But right, I mean, it's kind of a big deal. Maybe we underplayed how big of a deal that was. Well, I think there was a long period of, of college football history, too, where Ohio State, every program, could be very successful and not really have to beat another great quarterback. Like, I was thinking of, like, someone I thought was a great college football player, Antoine Randall back in the 90, early 90s with Indiana, was like one of the underrated college football players really of all time, was an amazing football player, but played for a terrible team. So that doesn't really count. Or, um, you know, Tom Brady 
has gone on to be arguably the greatest quarterback of all time when you're including everything. It was an afterthought as a college player, um, which is one of the best parts of his story, really. So, But now it sort of encapsulates, I think this is a really interesting topic because I think from now on to be a great team, you're going to have to beat another great quarterback. It seems like we have shifted into that reality in college football. It matches almost. You can't like, to the point of with Tom Brady. I don't. We're gonna. We're, I don't know if we're ever gonna see another Tom Brady type player because if you're a great quarterback in the NFL, you're probably a great quarterback in college as well. Just because the games are so. I mean, it's gonna be more pro style spread offenses now. Well, and it's you know who Tom Brady is for real. Like, I mean, like in a thousand different ways, but in a different era, would have been Tom Brady, Joe, Joe Burrow. Burrow. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been like the kind of half starter sort of at Ohio State who then was a mid-round pick in the NFL because he never he wouldn't have transferred. He would never would have gotten the opportunity to, to explode the way he did. And then they would have drafted him and been like, ah, this guy, I don't know. He's like a fourth rounder. He's kind of looks weird. Is it? And they would have been like, oh, he's really good. I mean, that's what that is. Tom Brady, if Tom Brady played now, Tom Brady would have transferred to Florida state and like set the world on fire for a year and then like gone in the first round, man, it feels like a story too. I think yeah. we might've missed the boat on that. And it- <laughs> did, did college football, not allowing players to tra- not allowing players to freely transfer miss out on the greatest quality college quarterback of all time. And it's one of those things like Tom Brady. It's one of the, Tom Brady found a way to get a chance to show it right. Because he wound up in the, with the right team and the right coach and had the right opportunity as a sixth rounder. And then when he got his chance, he proved it. But again, that's sort sort of the thing that this transfer thing, as much as it's kind of weird, but it, it gives guys opportunities that you can look and see. Man, guys, twenty years ago just did, just did not get that chance. But I do, we I think we do need to acknowledge. I think it's a really good question by the texter that that was kind of a really big deal to end the career and maybe beat the best quarterback that Ohio State in its program history um, has possibly ever beaten. All right, from the 214, we've answered versions of this in the past, but that doesn't mean it's not a good question. From the 214, what other beats would you find the most interesting to cover? Alabama, because they're always excellent. Tennessee, because it's a dumpster fire. USC, because you'd probably live in SoCal. Mississippi State, because Mike Leach is a nut job. I will say the thing that I, I found most interesting about this is I think covering a nut job coach, like a nut job coach that you check in on from afar once a month when Mike Leach gives a pirate answer is funny and cool. A nut job coach every day. I want no part of when I'm trying to ask like Mike Leach about why they don't throw to the tight end more. And like, he's talking about politics or pirates or whatever. And like showing off for a national audience and being funky and weird. And it's like, that's great. Thank you for being interesting my readers and your fans would like to know about your football team. Can we have a discussion like without you kind of being like a weird jerk about it? Nathan, I have, I have zero interest in that. I would not be good with Mike Leach. I would not like him and he would not like me. No. Um, I think you hit the nail on the head too there. It's like, are you, are you being colorful or are you up here just doing an act because you're trying to like, build this like personality or whatever, or, or just, and just run with it. That's the difference to me. Um, I, in, in my career as a college beat writer, I've typically run into, I've had a lot of coaches who are a little bit drier, not, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just like, they're not up there 
to um, to show off and and to 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 be an act. They're up there to, to, to they're doing their they're, they're 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 fine standing there answering your questions, but they're ready for it to be over so they can go do their job of trying to win the next game because they're kind of obsessed with that. So uh, that's uh, that's just the coach that I'm, I'm the most comfortable with. And having watched it from afar a few times now, the ones who make themselves like the center of attention are the the most frustrating to have to cover. I feel like Mike Leach is like taking care of someone else's kids. It's like if you're a teacher, it's fun. You like it because at 3.30, you, you don't have to deal with them anymore. There's somebody else's problem. But if you if that's your kid, it's like oh, – he did what today? What they do today? Now you have to deal with it when you get home. So I think with Mike Leach, yeah, you're right. I, it's fun to look at if you want to write a quick story, but to deal with that every day when you're trying to cover this beat for a living would be annoying. I I'm, I think I said USC before, and I'm sticking with that answer because it's Southern California. It's USC looks like it's getting its act together, at least on the recruiting front. And I mean Alabama's uh, wins national championships, but I'm not I'm not living in Alabama. I'm just not gonna make that decision. And just one quick thing. I think sometimes the Mike Leach stuff gets a little bit overblown because that's the only clip that gets out there is when he's talking about like what it would be like to attend an opossum wedding or whatever like that. But that's like the last question he got. And the other 10 questions were he answered questions about who's who's the number two slot receiver and why they need um, why they need to fix what's going on on the defensive line or whatever. He answers football questions, too. It's not all nonsense. Nick Saban has his moments, too. Like, I've seen whole YouTube uh, clips that people have put together of him answering questions with his uh, aggressive style of monotone, but at the same time, he's clearly upset at you. He, I think there's a video of him comparing Kirby Smart to a Coke bottle. So I do think that I personally would be made to cover a – long-standing college football power that should be really good that is underachieving so i could rip people <laughs> and i could like like sometimes like i mean like because it's my instinct right like i like that like to cover texas like just cover texas for 10 years and it's like why aren't you better what is wrong with you that would be my wheelhouse sometimes i don't ever do it disingenuously but that's my instinct a lot. And it's like, man, you know, I mean, you hear me out here. I'm like, man, I don't know. I mean, what? I'm on this podcast. What do I talk about this podcast? Oh, they're too talented. Oh, they've got one assistant coach higher that I don't like. They're, they do practically everything right. And I'm like a grumpy sort of nonconformist. And like, it's a weird fit for me sometimes. I do think, though, that that could be really interesting. Now. You know, you'd have to have a coach that goes with it a little bit. I wouldn't want to cover Saban. I think Saban is not as interesting. I would not want to cover Harbaugh. I think Harbaugh makes it impossible. I got to say, and I'm not just doing this like to kiss butt. I honestly think it's possible that Urban Meyer was the best college football coach to cover because he would talk about anything. And if you asked like an in-depth question about recruiting strategy in the middle of a news conference, he would talk about it. If you asked him why a position group wasn't playing well, he would talk about it. If you asked about an injury, he would give you an idea about it. He would talk about anything. And he was operating at the highest level. He was much better to cover than Saban or Harbaugh. And I don't know what Lincoln Riley's like to cover or coach or whatever, but like that urban was a sweet spot of openness, interesting, high level achievement. You could talk about stuff. 
you always had something. He didn't just give you the, the rote answer. He would give you some extra stuff. Urban was unbelievable. And, and Trestle, I'm not just did not give you that same kind of thing as a journalist. Right. So Urban was great. But but I think like Tennessee is a little bit off the deep end. Like Tennessee is just awful, awful, awful. That would get, I think, exasperating after a while. But like that, that, that top, like Texas is almost like perfect of like, you're not going two and 10 every year, but you should be way better than this. And you can keep asking, why aren't you better? Why aren't you better? Why aren't you better? I think I kind of would enjoy that. Let's do one more before our next break. We'll do this quickly from the 813. What's your short list of candidates to replace Gene Smith if he were to ever leave? So this came up. Um, I think Gene Smith, I don't know if we've talked about it on the pod or not, makes a lot of sense as a potential candidate for Pac-12 commissioner. Jim Phillips, the Northwestern athletic director, is taking over as the new ACC commissioner. So we have an example of a Big Ten athletic director becoming the commissioner of another conference. These jobs don't come open that much, but they all just came open in recent. I mean, the Greg Sankey at the at the SEC has not been there all that long, maybe five or six years. Maybe Nathan, you remember better. Or Steven, I don't I don't know. He's not there super long, but I think he was promoted from within. Jim Phillips is just starting now. Kevin Warren just took over, and Larry Scott, the Pac-12 AD, just resigned. And uh, it's an interesting opportunity. Like, if you want, if you're the big, if you're Gene Smith, what else would you want to do? How do you get higher than Gene Smith? in your profession, when you're the AD of the largest athletic department in the country, there's not a lot of places to go. I think the PAC 12 is interesting because the PAC 12 is in trouble right now. They're behind the times in terms of revenue. I think in terms of TV exposure, in terms of a couple things that the big 10 has done very, very well under Jim Delaney's leadership. And Gene's been right there for all of it. I think Gene understands the in and outs of all the stuff of being of modern day college athletics. And he has been a driving force at Ohio state. I think he would help the PAC 12. Martin Jarmon, the UCLA D is a former gene assistant at Ohio state. Pat Chun, the Washington state AD, former gene assistant at Ohio state. Michael Drake is now the president of the Cal. Like there's a lot of things in here that, you know, the ADs don't pick the new president, but Gene knows everybody. And Gene is very qualified for this. You look at the names. The only thing is, and I've, you know, checked around a little bit. I think Gene's name is out there. I think he makes a lot of sense. He's a little on the old side for often. If you want, if you want a commissioner for the next 15 or 20 years, maybe Gene's too old for that. But I, I, if you want like a bridge AD to like get you back on track for the next five or 10 years, five or eight years, I think Gene is almost perfect. Could be, and the PAC 12 and the big 10 think the same. So it's like, hey, this guy just did it at the highest level in the Big Ten. We want to be more like the Big Ten when it comes to money and exposure and network and all that stuff and getting our whatever. So then what? I think Diana Sabo, who is the assistant right now to Gene, is a strong candidate if he would ever leave for this or any other reason. But then he has this whole one of Gene's greatest legacies is all the people he sent out into the world. Martin Jarmond, who was the Boston College Athletic Director, just went to UCLA. It might be a little quick for him. He just got to UCLA. But maybe. He'd be a little young, but maybe. I mean, he's, he's really good at this. Pat Chun, who has been out in the AD world for longer. He hired Lane Kiffin at Florida Atlantic. has been at Washington State for several years. I think he would go hard after it if it opened up for Gene. What's her name? Heather Like Catalano, who I think is the Pitt AD. Is that the right name? Someone check me on that. Gene has so many people out in the world that I think they would have a very strong list. And then it's like random AD that I don't know, right? 
that would want to be Heather. Like she's the first full-time athletic yeah. director at yeah. Pitt. I guess she's just Heather like now, but she'd be a strong candidate, but Jean has done this. Jean has sent Jean provides people opportunity and then they go out. Jean has quite a tree. Jean has quite an AD tree. So it's something to think about. I mean, it's going to be a huge hire. Jean's been here forever. Jean's been here since 2004, 2005. So I don't know if there's a lot to add to that, but I think it's something, Nathan, just like the idea of, and the, the person didn't ask this question, but like, what are you, and I'm just going to you guys quickly on this. The idea of Gene as a Pac-12 commissioner or candidate, what do you think of it, Nathan? I think for all the reasons you said, it makes sense. Uh, the connections he has. He was also at where? Arizona State? He was at Arizona State before he came here. So he's worked in right. the Pac-12. So, I mean, there, there's just all sorts of connections there. Um, and I think, you know, he's, he's someone who's had a voice in college sports, whether it was when he was on the college football playoff committee, whether it was when the things he's done with name, image, and likeness. I mean, he's had his toes in a lot of different college sports pawns so he's someone who does make a lot of sense um and i think it's it's starting it, but he's also as you say it may be at a juncture of his career where we need to always kind of be thinking about who's going to be a successor anyway right like he's getting into that sort of that stage of his career yeah i agree steven i agree with the idea of i think he's the perfect transition uh president for the pac-12 of the guy who can take everything he's learned from being ohio state's ad and also just being one of the you know, bigger day athletic directors in the country and taking everything he's learned from the big 10 and just implementing that there before they put somebody in place who could make it, make sure it sustains itself. And just do you think, clear, go ahead. Obviously, do you think, I mean, on the, on the, on the other hand, whether it's the Zach Smith thing, whether it's a fact they have like three or four programs right now on some kind of NCAA probation or have had some infractions in the last year, including some pretty significant stuff with like women's basketball and stuff, those things, the fact that they came in over budget a couple last two years ago for things that were partially related to the Zach Smith stuff. I don't know. It's not like it's a completely clean slate too, that I think that they would be evaluating as far as bringing him over. No, for sure. I mean, Gene has had a very interesting career and he's had his moments. I mean, he got suspended. Yeah. As a, how many, how many ADs wind up getting suspended for like, not performing their duties correctly. I mean, that's like a real thing. So yeah, that's part of it too. And he's, you know, he sort of had it twice with the Jim Trestle stuff and then the Urban Meyer, Zach Smith stuff. And he, he came out, he emerged from both, but you can't ignore that stuff either. So I think it's, it's, it's worthy of bringing up, but then, I mean, I'm, I think on the other side of it is like, I think they are like, they try to be pretty serious about the compliance stuff because they've lived through it not going well. Right. So it's one of those things he has the scars so it's like, well, man, this guy knows how to deal with this stuff. I don't know. But I think, Nathan, that's an important point to bring up because it would come up, right? I mean, if they're yeah. having – if he's a candidate and he's in the room and the, and the presidents in the Pac-12 are having this discussion, that comes up when you talk about Gene Smith's candidacy. I mean, of, of the five Power Five conferences, which one is I considered like the most liberal, the most like maybe wary of those sorts of things? And I think it might be the Pac-12. I think you're right. All right. We'll come back with four more. Guessing about position switches, a Greg Madison replacement question. Uh, which thing you'd like to Ohio State could steal from another team and then eating a thousand of something next on Buckeye Talk. All right. Again, great questions from everybody. We, we got them lined up. We've already I've already grabbed a couple that are going to be their own podcast and we'll keep we'll work all these in because, again, um, why wouldn't we make you guys do our job for us? Because you're so good at it. 
from the 513, it seems like every spring we get surprised by a guy switching positions. Take a wild swing and guess someone who might be in a different room next time we see this team. Nathan, we'll start with you. We were sort of texting about this. There are some obvious ones here, but just because it's obvious doesn't mean it isn't a good answer. So we, during the depth chart thing, we mentioned the Enoch Vamahi thing that he had been playing some defensive tackle, warming up at defensive tackle. And I think even got some very late snaps at defensive tackle in the national championship game. I feel like that one's already out there. So if we're going to really have fun with the question, if I'm looking at this like a video game and I'm just like looking at who has attributes and who and where is something where Ohio State needs someone, like could Dewan Jones be a nose tackle? He's pretty tall. Yeah, that's a big dude. That's interesting. It's wild. It's wild. So, because like you said, the Vamaki is is sort of the 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 obvious one. That's interesting. He is an interesting package of speed and talent, and not speed of strength and size and talent. Because the guy has athletic skills. The guy's a basketball player. The guy's got feet. He's got length. He's got size. And those are the kind of guys. I think to your point, Nathan. I think you look at Dewan Jones and say, this guy's got something. Yeah. Where can we get How him on can the we field? use it? Yeah. So I think it is a I think it is an interesting name to throw out there because the guy's an athlete and I, he's working his butt off. And how could that work? Uh, but make Steve, sure just to make sure that's completely speculative. That's not the same no. as Vamahi, who we saw. No. We said wild guess. So it's wild okay. guess in the thing. So yeah, we're Good. just okay. uh, and I think it's a lot of this stuff is it's sort of like it's a tribute to a guy. Right. right. It's not like, ah, you stink. Let's move positions. It's like, listen, you are good. You might not exactly fit here, but you're so good. We don't want to just like have you stagnate. Let's find a way to give you a role. So it's a nod to that more than anything else. When you talk about stuff like this, Stephen, what you got? I, I went with one that I think is going to happen. Uh, Darion Henry Young. Uh, he's, listed as a defensive end right now. He was a defensive tackle coming out of high school, the number 16 defensive tackle, number 154 overall player. He's six foot four, 275 pounds. And I think, I mean, you could put 10 more pounds on him and make him a three tech. I and think that, that's their goal all along is start him outside, make, have him learn how to be a pass rusher and then bring him back inside. Kind of like what they did with Draymond Jones. It's the Larry Johnson formula. Yeah. And just because it's a, an easier switch doesn't mean it's not a position switch. That's the position switch. Yeah. Ends and tackles don't do the same thing. So that would be a very interesting switch. I was trying to think of it this way, and I don't know if there's an obvious answer. But when you look at the receiver room, and then when you look at what we talk about with the cornerback room, like, is there a guy? Like, and I'm not like, if you're Cameron Babb, right? If you're like a guy, I'm trying to find the right guy. But you know what I mean? Like, it's a deep receiver room. Cam Brown uh, was a receiver listed in his recruiting as a receiver got here and got switched to defensive back. I mean, we see that kind of thing all the time. Again, you know, Ted Ginn jr. Was kind of iffy for a couple practices when he got to Ohio state. I don't want to just randomly throw out every name, but I'm trying to think of a guy who's like, listen, man, like you're good. You have skills. I just think we might be able to get you on the field now on the other side of the ball. And I, to me, when you look at the receiver room and the cornerback room, my head went there. I don't know if there's a perfect fit for it, Nathan, Steven. And I don't want to do it to a guy who's just getting here. I don't want to move yeah. you know, Jaden Ballard before he even gets to a practice. But that's where my head's at a little bit. Listen, I, and I'm not, again, this is wild guesses, right? Jamison Williams has got something. 
doesn't he? Jamison Williams has something. He was the number three receiver for this team this year. Is he going to show all he can be at receiver? Or if you flip that guy and tell Jamison Williams, we're going to turn you in to the next Marshawn Lattimore, like, is that a terrible use of Jamison Williams? Or is that a interesting use of a guy who I don't know if he's ever going to explode at receiver the way he could when he's the number 82 overall recruit in his class and his came in at six, one and a half, six, one and a half. And I don't know, Steven, could Jamison Williams with that speed be a lockdown corner? I think you went too wild with Jamison Williams because he's getting snaps. And so it's, he would, I think it's easy to do it with a guy who's not playing. Cause then it's like, Hey, you can go from not playing in this room to maybe being a starter in this room. While with Jamison Williams, he's at least a starter. Cameron Babb makes a lot of sense. I mean, he looks the part, he's six foot, 197 pounds, which is Kerry Combs is, I mean, he goes to sleep dreaming of six foot, 195 pounds when he thinks of outside corner. He hasn't played because he's been hurt. And you could sell him on the, listen, this room is going to keep getting stacked with talent every single year. Let's hit the reset button on your Ohio State career. Let's just hit the reset button. You're a top 100 guy. You're clearly a great athlete who's just had some injury luck, bad luck with the injuries. Let's just hit reset. Come on over to me. There's room here. You can get on the field right now. Come on over. And I, this is wild again, right? But let me ask you this. So Jamison Williams is listed at 6'2", 188 on the Ohio State roster. If we show up the first day of spring practice that we can watch and Jamison Williams is playing corner, would you be like, oh, no, his career as a receiver. What's that room going to do? Oh, no. Or would you be like, <laughs> that guy has a chance to be like their best cornerback right now. I'd be intrigued. I'd make that noise. Well, no, I wouldn't make that noise, but I'd have that feeling of whatever that noise was. But also I'd be thinking, <laughs> I'd be thinking, what just happened in this wide receiver room in the last two months that this dude went from the third wide receiver to being in the cornerback room? Who what happened? What happened is that he never got he never got his full shot to show it. And when he played this year as a starter, he was fine. He wasn't great. I mean, he he had a full shot. He, I mean, was he? What did you think of him this year? He's fine, right? I just, I mean, he was good. He just wasn't Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave. But you can say that about every person in that room who touched the field. They were good, but they're not Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. And yeah, we do need to wrap we it up. We have a meeting coming. I know, but this is interesting. Yeah. I, listen, what is Jamison Williams' top end as a receiver here? All these guys are coming behind him. All right, so twenty twenty two. Olave and Wilson are going to be gone, mm-hmm. but Fleming and Jackson Smith, Najigba and G Scott are behind him. And by the way, Emekek Buka wants to play too. What's Jamison Williams is Jamison Williams, the number one receiver in 2022 on this team. I, I think what you're saying is interesting. I just don't know how immediate, unless the guy has a background as a defensive back, I don't know how immediate he becomes a good defensive back. I just think it's easier to sell a guy who has not played at all than a guy who's at least had some type of role that he can hold on to. I think Jamison Williams as a receiver is going to be like a fifth round NFL draft pick. And I think if you gave him two years at corner, he could be a first rounder. He's fast and he has size. Yeah. Right. Six two one eighty eight. He's a, he's a burner, right? I can't and, wait. And, and who makes money? What's more, what's a premium. It's not like we're hot. You're a corner, man. You're a lockdown corner. 
I don't know. I just made that up on the fly. It's wild. If I were Jamison Williams, I wouldn't resist it. I wouldn't resist it. I'd trust Kerry Combs and say, mold me. Let's try this. Because I think I, I think they'd be fine. They would be fine at receiver. They really would be. All right, we're going to skip the Greg Madison question because Nathan's given us the, the watch thing because we have a meeting with our boss. We're going to get to this most important question of the podcast from the 513. Listen, if, if you know Jamison Williams, I'm, this is all positive. That's all positive for him. I mean, I'm not trying to like screw up his life. I'm trying to open everyone's minds to greater opportunities, maybe. From the 513, my question is simple. If you had to eat 1,000 of one thing and had an entire year to do so, what would it be? Rice does not count because I could eat 1,000 grains of rice in well under a minute. So no cheating on the question. You know what we're talking about here. I ask because my friend ate 1,000 Skyline cheese conies a year or so ago. And I'm curious to know what your answers are. This is a fantastic question. I did tip you guys off to this a little bit ahead of time. Nathan, what? So, so basically, I mean, roughly, you got to eat three a day. Three a day of like an actual thing. What would you eat, Nathan? I mean, first of all, um, condolences to our texter on the either recent or imminent death of his friend. Um, I, I think so recently, um, I guess within the past year, my wife has gotten really into these like seedless little oranges. Sometimes they're called like cuties. Um, yeah. Or like, like tangelos or mandarins, whatever they are, just like some small seedless orange. And I think that was the answer I came up with today because they, it seamlessly fits into pretty much every, you could eat it with breakfast and it kind of feels like it goes sort of with like your oatmeal or even your eggs or whatever. And it's an easy, quick thing to throw with a lunch. And then it's almost like a little dessert. If you aren't doing real dessert for dinner, like you can get one at each meal and there you got a thousand of them. I'm Nathan Baird. I would eat fruit. It's a hot dog question. You're it's a hot dog answer, question. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying like, if, yeah. so if you want like the thing that if there were no, if there were no repercussions, what would you eat a thousand of in a year? I was just trying to I was yeah. trying to think of like because you can't really have to go out of your way to find a thousand hot dogs. I had two answers for that exact reason of other repercussions for eating this, or can I just eat it freely without having any consequences? But also when you stood up with your face, let me know you were gonna hate my answer too. I was gonna say I could eat a thousand bags of grapes. Because I can sit here I can sit here and eat grapes like it's nothing. I'll I'll buy grapes. I'll buy like three bags and they'll be gone within 48 hours. So I can just eat grapes all day. Um, but with no repercussions, thousand honey buns, thousand honey buns. That's better. You guys are, I mean, really but see, like, here's the thing. Like I love ice cream more than life itself, but I could not eat three pints of ice cream a day. Like I just couldn't do it. Right. No, I get it. I get it. No, that would be a bad answer. That's too much ice cream, even for someone who loves it. The honey bun, I think, is good because that slides in very nicely for breakfast, Stephen, right? That's yeah. an easy breakfast thing. And then you can sort of eat it as a dessert at lunch mm -hmm. and dinner. I, I have one like that. The uh, the fudge rounds, the little box of fudge rounds that come like uh, eight to a pack. I, I could eat. I could maybe do a box of fudge rounds a day if I really didn't care about growing a fourth butt. So by the, on the math, it's 2.8 per day of these that you would have to eat when you divide 1,000 by 365. I would say, so my children like to go to Noodles and Company. I don't know if people go to Noodles and Company. I don't really like Noodles and Company that much, it's but it's right down the street from us. But the thing they have there, they have Rice Krispie treats for dessert all the time. And it's like they make them there, and then they give you a giant triangle 
Rice Krispie Treat. And it is not, I mean, it's the size of like, if you made Rice Krispie Treats at home and you cut them into little squares, it's like eight of those. I could eat a Noodles and Company Rice Krispie Treat triangle three times a day because it doesn't fill up my body. It's just, it's just marsh, melted marshmallow and Rice Krispies. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, it, I don't, I enjoy every bite of it, but there's no fillingness of it. Now the carbs are going to murder me, but that would be, I could Literally. eat those three times a day. Mm-hmm. No problem. Cause the part of it is there's a heaviness to it, right. That you kind of want to avoid. And a lot of things you just get sick of, but I think the honey bun slides in because it's not, I don't think that's so heavy as some stuff, but the hot dog thing, by the way, just to acknowledge the question, a thousand Coney cheese dogs in a year. Talk about heavy. Nathan, my God, I don't know how this person did this. Okay, but now here's the thing. What you're talking about with the Rice Krispie Treats, you're eating three of those a day, but you're also probably still eating three meals a day. So that's when it becomes heavy. It's like adding that on to adding a very – I know that those seem light, but to eat three of those huge ones in a day, those are that's, that's a lot of density when you pack it all together. The thing about the three Coney's is you could just say, you know what, every day this year – I'm having three Coney dogs for dinner. You get sick of that. Really? You'll get sick of that after three days. Well, you get sick of any of this. I think after three days of eating this much of it, even your grapes and even my oranges, but I'm saying that like that it's more seamless. You're not having to add something into your, you're not having to almost add another meal into your diet to pull this off. If you're doing the Coney dogs. That's true. That it is that you eat, pick a thing that is your meal. Not in right. addition to your meal. It's a good strategic. If you say, I'm going to eat a thousand French bread pizzas because I'm going to eat it for breakfast, lunch, you know, I'm going to eat one for lunch and two for dinner every day or whatever. I want the rest of this story, though. This guy needs to, I hope there's a blog post or something about how this guy pulled this off because I think there's probably a story here. And, and was what? there was there like a dare here? Did he get paid off at the end of it? Because I'm sure his insurance premiums went up. Skyline is awful. I bet. You, I wonder if the guy worked there. Do you think the guy would be there oh, yeah. and then oh, man. at work? The year that I worked at Subway, I ate a lot of pepperoni. I worked at Walmart in college, and some of the Walmarts have the uh, the fresh food, well, not fresh food, but hot meals. And I ate that every day. So, yeah, I, I worked at a, at a food stand in an amusement park, and I put chicken fingers in my pocket. And I ate a lot of pocket chicken fingers uh, over the course of right. that summer. It's probably not a – It hurt. It, it burned my leg, and also then the chicken fingers that I ate like had lint on them. Yeah. You couldn't so like now, wrap them in a napkin? No, no, no. I mean, I was stealing them, so I had to. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, was, but like, why didn't you just okay? But you knew you were going to do it. Why didn't you like put like a little plastic baggie in your pocket when you went to work that day, and then you could have just slipped it right in there? Did you I mean, accidentally steal it the first time you did it, and then realized, oh, I can get away with this, and you just kept doing it? Because I did that at Walmart the first time. I just. Genuinely thought that I just went and sat down at the subway that was in the McDonald's that was in the Walmart and just started eating and then realized, oh, I didn't pay for this. <laughs> and then you just did it a thousand <laughs> times after that. No, the next day I was like, can I get away with doing this again? And I got away with it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm in college. I don't really need this job. And so if they fire me, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I was making the chicken fingers. So I, I deep fried oh, the yeah. chicken fingers and then on the way of like deep frying them and putting them like in the thing to serve to people, a couple of them would find their way into my pocket in the transfer. So, uh, no, but I know I, I was not a criminal mastermind, Nathan. I didn't have like a, I didn't like make like a, a chicken finger stealing apparatus to put in my pocket. All right. You know what? I think we'll save this other one too, because I think there's a good question about, and I'll tease you that, and we'll get to it on a future pod on one of the shorter pods. It's Matthew and Fort Hood. 
There's an anecdote about Bob Stoops adopting the spread scheme offensively because coming up as a defensive coordinator, that was the hardest offense to stop. So would you rather that Ohio State adopt some of Indiana's pressure defense or Alabama's advanced RPO offense? And Stephen and I were talking about this before we started. I do think it's the most interesting on the defensive side of the ball, the idea of Ryan Day's an offensive guy. And if you face a defense and say, that was hard to go against, I want to do that. Right. And if Indiana was doing some things with some blitzes and getting after Justin Fields in the second half of that game, do you say, let's steal that? I think it's an interesting discussion. Some of the RPO stuff. I mean, people do RPOs. Ohio State struggled with RPOs the one year they really leaned into that in 2018 with Dwayne Haskins and kind of got away from it. I think RPO exists in a world where your quarterback can't move very well. So instead of doing zone read where your quarterback runs, you do RPO where you fake the handoff and then the option after you keep it is to throw it and not run it. So they did that with Mac Jones. It's a, just a philosophical thing you've got to do. I don't know that they would ever get there to that, but I think there's some stuff we could talk about what Ryan Day should try to steal from opposing defenses and say, let's do that kind of thing. But we can get into that more in a future pod. But Matthew and Fort Hood, thanks for the question. That's a really good one. Thanks to everybody who asked questions. We also didn't get to the Greg Madison one, but that will work in. I'll, I'll tease it, and we'll get to it in our defensive assistance discussion. From the 312, why does the Greg Madison replacement have to be a co-coordinator? How many teams have multiple coordinators? Does Brett Venables have a co-coordinator? And the answer is that he doesn't. And so it's just about how you want to go about this. So when we have, we already did the offensive assistance discussion. Make sure you listen to that. That was the Tuesday pod. We'll do the defensive one coming up later this week. And we'll work in this Greg Madison question and some other Greg Madison, Kerry Combs questions that we got in the course of the rapid fire. Thanks to everybody who participated. Again, if you want to be a tech subscriber and get to ask some of these questions, get texts from us right in your phone accidentally send us inside business info, accidentally tell us that you love us or on purpose, tell us that you love us. 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop the reviews at Apple Podcasts. We have a meeting with our boss. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Steven and Nathan, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.